Hey, you. Want access to exclusive secret ops intel? Check out the link in the description. Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of business operations one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Cafone, and today's guest is Jay Desai, Chief Operating Officer at Baron Fig. Jay, I am so lucky to talk to you today. Thank you so much for agreeing to give me your brain. Hey, Ariana. Th- thanks for having me. This is uh, going to be a fun time. So before we jump into operations, let's talk about where you started in your career and how you got to being a chief operating officer. So where did you begin and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So I actually studied mechanical engineering in college. And then after that, I moved up to Connecticut and kind of, I was working in the aerospace field. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. I was working on uh, commercial and military engines uh, and then later on helicopters. So really different from what I'm doing now. I, I started off as like a project engineer, which is basically like kind of like project management um, for a new engine that was like in a prototype phase. And actually interesting story, this summer I was in Italy and on the way back, I noticed that our plane, it looked really familiar, like the engine type. And I looked it up real quick and it was like actually the engine that I was working on like 10 years ago. <laughs> Oh my God. I didn't even think that. Do you look at engines when you go on a plane to see? Like the wings and everything. Yeah. I I love that. Wow. Okay. So for context listeners, I've known Jay for like eight, nine years and I had no idea that this was a part of (laughs) uh, his career. So I guess what drew you to engineering in the early parts of your career and in your school? Like what was it about, I guess, that line of, of work and creativity that drew you in? I think as a young age, I really liked Legos and this thing called Steel Connects. Um, it's always like building things with your hands. And then I also had a passion of my, my parents definitely did not like me for it, but I used to take apart electronics and try to put them together, put them back together. And I would say I had like a success rate of like 20%. So <laughs> um but I got better as I got older and more familiar with everything. I used to take apart like radios and like my uh, RC car and, and things like that. So it was really cool to see how everything was built together and then how it all works. So I have a question just out of curiosity, which is how much math is involved in engineering? I'm assuming a good amount, but I really know nothing about engineering at all. There's a lot of math in college. Uh, but not a lot of math outside of college. So you learned a lot of like the principles, you learned a lot about like the theoretical portion of it. We had to go up to, I think it was calculus four in college, which is like differential equations. And it was not, we, I, I don't use that in my engineering uh, job, my previous job. I never used it. Like it's all computers now. Like you, you kind of simulate what you need to simulate on the computer and the program does the math for you. But it's good to have that like understanding of what it's actually doing. Um, so you kind of like get to understand it and process it a little bit better. So uh, you, I mean, have worked on uh, engines, which is mind blowing to me. You have slowly taken apart things in your, your household <laughs> growing up. Uh, but how did you end up at Baron Fig? Like what was the draw of making physical goods and how has that all fit together? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so after after doing all that stuff, um, I did a little bit of structural engineering as well, which is basically like making sure that the parts don't break during like various conditions. So like making sure that the engine part of it doesn't uh, fall apart, which is like pretty important. And then I was kind of doing this for a few years and it was getting really kind of, you know, lack of better words, boring. Like the whole industry is very regulated and it's for, for really good reason, obviously. But it was kind of be this very repetitive and the same thing over and over. Um, and one of my best friends from high school, Joey, was starting up Baron Fig. It was like pre-Kickstarter. Um, and he was just like always talking to me about it, like all the things that he's working on, like the challenges he's facing. And it was, it was pretty interesting. It was like entrepreneurship, which was like very new to us uh, at that age of our life. So I was just, you know, a little bit involved in that. He was asking for some help stuff with like shipping and stuff with like pre-Kickstarter stuff. So I was kind of dabbling a little bit in that. And then I think at some point he just needed a lot more help. And I was like, all right, like I'm ready for a change, something more exciting, more challenging. And then, you know, gave my notice and kind of joined Baron Fig with him and uh, Adam, the other co-founder. Time flies. It feels like yesterday, but it was it was a long time ago. So can you talk about, I guess, what Baron Fig does? And then as a COO, all what are you managing with all of the goods that that is going on at Baron Fig being created? Baron Fig creates tools for thinkers. So we started off with a paper notebook on Kickstarter. Then we came out with a pen, which was actually uh, voted number one pen out of 100 with New York Magazine, which is like wasn't expecting that, but that's like awesome that we got to design this and prototype it and then get it into everyone's hands and they all really like it, which is awesome to see. And then we also have like backpacks and other stationary goods. In terms of my day-to-day, I'd say it varies pretty drastically depending on the week, depending on the season. There's a lot of like internal and external things going on. Uh, It's kind of like... I think the analogy that I like to use is like, it's like a train. So you're kind of, you're making sure that the train is running and then also stopping at all the different stations on time for everyone that's part of Baron Fig, whether that's internal or external, anyone that's involved and touches Baron Fig. So one thing that kind of blows my mind is the number of SKUs that you all have. Um, And for context, so Baron Fig and Joey, Joey's my husband, Baron Fig is, is a company that Jay and, and him um, work on together. So I have some inside knowledge <laughs> on on the on Jay's, what he's overseeing, which is a ton. But I think it blows my mind knowing how many SKUs that you are tracking. Are you in triple digits now? I feel like you were almost there or maybe you've been there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We, we're, I think it's like over 200. I, I, I lost count a couple years ago. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of SKUs. Because then when you think about the number of SKUs, how many suppliers then? in what parts of the world, the quality assurance, I mean, just the shipping alone, there's so much that goes into, you know, consumer product goods. And I'm extra interested in how your background in engineering and creating the projects goes hand in hand, particularly because uh, you use the 3D printer all the time and I think it's super neat and I've never used one. So how, how do you work to help create prototypes using your background in engineering before things go to market. So it kind of starts off with our designer, either Laura or Joey, who will like have some kind of rough mock-up of what they're trying to make. Um, 
and then I'll take that drawing or illustration and kind of I, I studied um, for mechanical engineering. One of the courses you have to take is computer aid design CAD. Um, so you kind of figure out how to model something in on a software, uh, a 3D model. Um, so I would take that drawing and 3D model it on a software. And then with our 3D printer that we got, uh, you can iterate on the design really quickly. So you would take your model and then upload it to your 3D printer and then print it within, you know, depending on how complex the model is, anywhere from like an hour to like, 24 hours like you would get like a functional prototype that you can touch you can see feel it in your hands and then you kind of iterate on that process over and over until you get a final product that you really like how many iterations would you say on average you would do for a new project that you're developing i'd say it ranges from probably 10 to like 50 i think for like the squire we had like i want to say like 40 different iterations and like everything's like small little tweaks just getting finer and finer um yeah it's a lot so when you're starting to develop a product and you're actually thinking about like the physical space that it takes up is it kind of big broad swings at the start to say like let's try this let's try that and then you start to start to to pinpoint the, the features that you want to have how did you, how do you go about developing a product yeah um so we start off with like the really big picture um start off with the general idea of what we're trying to manufacture uh and then as we get closer as time goes on we uh get add more and more details to it and then at the end it's kind of like when we would when i would add in like the final touches of like how everything gets assembled together when do you start to involve because i guess initially it's just you and the team all collaborating on this potential product. When do you start to get different manufacturing partners involved? Like how does that factor into developing this product? It probably starts when we have a functional prototype that we really like, and it's never going to be the exact model that we are going to make because we're not manufacturing it. Like there's small little nuances that we're not going to know um, that the machine doesn't have that capability to make something. So like we would give the vendor supplier a working prototype, the drawings for that, and then they would kind of iterate on that idea, that product to get us an actual manufactured prototype. Got it. Lots of pieces to the creating a product. I have never created a product from scratch myself, so it's fascinating to learn and I could literally spend this entire time talking about it. But back to operations, as like, somebody who's in operations, I think there's two ways to approach your ways of working. So there's the opportunity mindset. So where you can see potential or creativity to develop new things and you kind of approach operations through that lens. And then there's the the problem first mindset. So it's like, all right, something's on fire and I got to deal with it. And out of that problem first mindset, we can make something better. In your day-to-day with Baron Fig, where, where do you think your brain goes to? Are you more in the problem first mindset, opportunity first, a bit of both? I'd say probably more on the problem mindset first and then the opportunity. If there's anything that's major that's on fire, definitely address that first and make sure it's solved and then jump into like the opportunity, how we can optimize, how we can grow. 
do you have a favorite part? Like I sometimes am really satisfied when I solve a problem, but then when you see a different way of optimizing something, I also, you know, nerd out a little bit. Do you have one that you prefer? Uh, I definitely like optimizing, um, but some of the fires that we do have to put out, that's definitely, that's more rewarding. Because you have to like oh, put things on the spot and you have to like come up with a solution, make sure it works, validate it, and then implement it all within like a certain time frame. Yeah, I think that that cert, that smaller time frame too does make you feel like, dang, I really accomplished something. Whereas sometimes the other things can take a year or longer, so it doesn't feel as gratifying when it when it gets past the finish line. <laughs> That's a really good point. All right, let's break down operations. So the, the easiest way that I have found to describe operations across any role, any industry, is that it's comprised of uh, people, process, and technology with a little side of data. So thinking through each of those lenses, what are some, I guess, things that you think about when it comes to the technology side of operations? So I immediately am thinking about all the different partners that you're working with to develop your products. Like, what are some tools that you want to have to connect the dots easier on that supply chain? I think a really good project management software is vital um, and making sure that it helps keep you on track and to help plan for what you need to get done. Now, I uh, know that you all use Basecamp, which I think is what you're referring to. Like, can you talk pre-base camp, post-base camp, how that changed your way of working? Before it was just like, you kind of, everything's in your head. You're figuring out what you need to get done, but then also you have a lot of external uh, people involved in running a business, in creating a product, in whatever you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and before it was a lot of emails, it was a lot of, uh, I guess, we used to use Slack um, and a lot of back and forth and things would definitely get lost in translation. And once we transitioned to a project management into Basecamp, um, it helped streamline everything and keep everyone accountable for what needs to get done. And when things don't get done, you kind of can be aware of that and fix and address those challenges that you're facing or other people are facing. Hello, fellow thinkers. Now, if you have been a loyal listener of Secret Ops, then you already know about our sponsors, Baron Fig, the company that makes tools for thinkers. Now, I'm totally biased, but I really think that Baron Fig has the best product suite for thinkers and operators alike. And you know what? I'm not the only one that thinks so. Bloomberg said, and I quote, that Baron Fig's products are, quote, high end and well crafted, which they absolutely are. Their Confidant notebook is the most delicious notebook that you will use with the most perfect dot grid paper. But it's not just Bloomberg. Actually, fun fact, New York Magazine, they tested 100 pens to find the top pen. And after testing all of those pens, they rated Baron Fig's Squire pen the number one pen. The number one pen. It's not just me, y'all. You got to give them a try. And guess what? We got you hooked up with the discount code. If you go to baronfig.com today... Enter in the discount code SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Again, that's SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Oh, I'm like so jealous that you're going to get to see all this for the first time because they're, they're, their products are so delicious. Anyway, uh, enjoy, have fun, let us know how you use the tools, and let's get back to the show. 
Yeah. It's like, you can only keep it into your head until a certain point. And then it, you know, until you get to a certain volume or scale, and then it just tips into, you have to use something to extend your brain. (laughs) So when it comes to technology, a project management software is like key in getting things organized and making sure that people are being held accountable, which extends into the process side of operations. So when you are thinking about building processes with Baron Figs operations, what are some things that you've learned to have over the years? So it could be like, um, you know, when we work with certain vendors, we have to make sure we have this process in place for testing. Or when we're launching a new product, we have to make sure we have this X, Y, and Z in place. I guess, what are some of those key parts of the process that you need to have to successfully launch those products? Um, I'd say documentation is a really good process making sure everyone's aware of what needs to get done in terms of talking with suppliers. And uh, some of it goes back to like my previous job and like experience there with like having good quality manuals and having quality assurance steps in place, checks in place as you're moving from like the prototype phase to the production phase, you're going to have different challenges for making the physical products. So like kind of being aware of what can go wrong. And then as things could go wrong, you kind of figure out and you create like a manual of what should be done in case that happens. Documentation is a necessary evil. (laughs) And I don't think that people realize how necessary it is until you, I found until you start to train others and then you're like, oh, I haven't, I don't have this somewhere. Oh my God. Now I have to write all this down. Um, and, and like you said too, unfortunately, part of operations is planning for the worst and hoping for the best. And so it's best to sort of have those things in place that when something does go down, something doesn't go right, everybody knows what to do. Um, I feel like I've definitely learned that lesson the hard way by not writing things down. Yeah. And then over time. (laughs) In the beginning. Yeah. I also like try to keep it. I have like a strong drive to like keep everything simple as possible. Like there's a, a saying, kiss. Uh, which yes, is keep it simple, stupid. stupid. Oh yeah. <laughs> so simplify as much as possible because then there's just like different roadblocks that you're going to come up with that's going to like naturally just occur. Um, so if you're able to simplify it, you know, the less stress you're going to have, the less challenges you're going to face. I think actually people underestimate how hard it is to keep something simple. It's super easy to complicate something or write really complicated instructions. It's actually really hard to keep it simple and a bit dummy proof so that anyone can pick this up and run with it. That that takes time and practice. So I guess this gets to the people part of operations nicely. So you've got your team at Baron Fig, you've got a ton of different partners that you're working with to manufacture your products. I guess what have you learned in your years that have helped contribute to creating a really smooth running team? What are some like people pro tips you have? Um, Communication uh, and setting expectations of what you want. Um, And also trusting people that they're going to do their best. I will chime in that I think that initially early on in my career, I really had a hard time trusting others to just do their best. <laughs> like I was uh, very much wanted to be a part of all of the different parts of the process. And then you sort of had to let go. Otherwise you'll go crazy trying to be a part of everything. It's like, you, we can't duplicate ourselves, right? So we have to let go and sort of trust and then 
have built-in feedback with the team that you've built, right? Nothing's going to go perfect, but if you have that built-in feedback loop, you can refine it and make it better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm always still getting, trying to get better at trusting and opening up and like making sure just things will go well, things will run well. If you trust other people in their capabilities and you guide them with what you want to do uh, and what your goals are. Yeah. I've talked to a bunch of folks for this podcast and consistently, I think operations and communication are just really go hand in hand. You can't have good operations without having good communication, but communication is a skill that you learn by trying new things. You learn over time. You can't know how to do everything right initially. And so it takes time to learn those things. But I, I do feel like sometimes operations doesn't get that rap. I mean, think about it. We have so many people that we're talking to, so many stakeholders involved, so many vendors that you're working with that you have to have good communication to make sure things flow nicely. Um, and I know I feel that way all the time. I feel like I'm always practicing my communication muscle. Okay, so getting into the inside scoop of operations, this is where we tell the audience the skinny, where people, you know, what people get wrong, what do you need to know? So, so let's kick it off with what do you think people get wrong about operations? So you tell people you're a chief operating officer. What do you think people get wrong when they hear that? I feel like a lot of time people don't even understand what operations is, which is like, <laughs> this is exactly, this podcast is definitely going to be eye-opening for a lot of people, like different different sectors of operations. So it's fantastic that you're doing this. I honestly had no idea what operations was before even joining Baron Fig. I, it's like what like what, what 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 do i do like and like as you get more involved you kind of learn the ropes and you learn more things that need to get done um the thing that i keep on hearing in the past was like you don't need operations for your business like if you don't if you don't manufacture something like why do you need operations like it's like you got to keep your the train always moving and like a well-oiled machine and also another thing that I kept on hearing was like a college degree in operations or manufacturing, which that you need a college degree in the field for your business. And for me personally, like I had no experience in this field at all, uh, and even in stationary. And you kind of just pick it up as you go uh, and you learn, you're, you're learning, what, what is it? You're learning to... Uh, build the wings as you fly or something like that. I forget the exact saying. I was going to say build the ship as you sail. I don't know. Is there some sort of mechanism that you're building while it's happening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with you. I went to school for acting and I am not doing that today. So it's like, I didn't, I didn't come out with that. I do think part of it is the way that your brain kind of thinks kind of naturally ended up drawing me into operations. You know, I didn't seek it out either. And and then over time, a lot of the things I liked to do just ended up being under the title of operations, you know, and that's kind of how I developed that. I, I actually feel like um, operations people, you know, that I when I worked with other people, it kind of develops just out of trying to solve problems. Like people that I, I have found get into operations, oftentimes they're trying to fix the way that something is working or fix a platform that isn't working for the team or collaborate better. And in trying to fix those problems, they start to find other problems to fix. And then you sort of this domino of fixing problems. And then all of a sudden they end up as like a director of operations, you know, and it's <laughs> like, oh, okay. It's just because, because you see the domino effect of a problem and you want to solve each piece to get something working right. Um, an accordion of, of issues that you want to get, you know, playing a nice tune. 
I definitely, I'm with you on that. I, I think that this is really a part of the reason the podcast was made too, is that operations takes a lot of different forms depending upon the size business that you're in or what you do. Um, like for example, you know, you are making a physical product that looks very different than somebody who's building software, which looks very different than somebody who's providing a service. Um, but they're, the consistency is that there's all glue to, to each of those. And you sort of act like a glue between all the different facets. So this gets to what do you think is the hardest part about operations? What is the thing that you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do this, but I know I got to. I think there's one of the hardest part is the amount of things you have to juggle at a time. It's like dealing with production, dealing with, you know, making sure we have inventory uh, in stock, uh, logistics for that inventory. If we're out of stock, like how quickly can we get it back uh, in stock in a warehouse to sell the software for the team? If something goes wrong, uh, you know, jumping in and quickly fixing it. And then like management of running the company, making sure that the operation aspect is it's all running smooth and kind of using the, the same analogy of the train. It's like you, you're building the tracks as the train is moving forward. Do you have any tips on how you do prioritize? Because operations does oversee so much and every day does look very different. So have you found any sort of, I guess, tips that could help others in prioritizing those efforts? At, at Bear and Fig, we use the 80-20 principle. Joey was the one who like got me into that. And it's like, what is going to make the biggest impact for the company? And then focus on that first. Well, and I guess on the flip side, we've talked about the hardest part. What is the part that brings you the most gratification being in operations? I think the greatest joy of operations at Baron Fig is probably when a customer gets the product in their hands and they are ecstatic. Like they love the product because you're starting from the very beginning of design the product to making the product, to shipping the product to a warehouse, to then getting to the customer and it needs to happen all smoothly. That entire process needs to be a continuous movement. And then when they get it, they're, they love it. They love opening it. They love feeling it. They love touching it. They love using it. Um, and that is an awesome feeling. I think part of the thing that always shocks me being a bystander to Baron Fig is how much people care about the products. Because ultimately, these are notebooks, they're pens, you know, they're pencils, they're bags, but people really care about the tools that they use. And it's really important to them that it means something to them. Like I think about the limited editions that you all have and how people like bargain for them on Facebook. <laughs> you know, they're like yeah. trying to find a particular one because there's a meaning behind it that that I think triggers something inside of them, like a little kid happiness. That always shocks me because it, it's a pen, but there is something that it, I guess it sparks creativity or I don't know, inspiration in them. And they, they've got to get that. that. That always kind of put me put me back being a, a watcher of this journey. It's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And like for, for people who don't know, like I've lived editions, um, we make a certain quantity and once they're sold out, we never bring them back. So over the years, people really want a specific edition. And like, at one point there was like, kind of like a black market for them. Like people were trying to <laughs> for like, I don't know, four or five times the cost. And it was like, wow, this is incredible. 
incredible feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that that blows my mind how a sub market could come from the main market just because of a particular thing. It's, it's really funny. Um, so if someone came to you today and said, Jay, listen, I want to get to operations. Where should I start? What advice would you give them? I'd say to get your organization and planning your game on point for that. Um, there's a, there's a saying, I think, uh, Alexander Bell, which is, he said, preparation is the key to success. So when you plan something, uh, planning leads the path to where you're going to go. So if you can map out the steps to get there, it makes the path a lot easier to follow versus building it as you're going, which of course you do, especially being at a smaller business. But if you can start to map those out earlier, the better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like taking a step back and kind of seeing how you can prepare. Um, it allows you to make the progress you want and then also like reduce the friction and the stress for getting there. Definitely. Definitely. Jumping back into rapid fire questions, we're going to end with some more human centric questions about UJ to learn things that have affected you in your life and, and bringing that into our lives. Here's my bad drum roll. <laughs> That's my bedroom roll. First question is, what morning rituals do you start your day with every morning? Like without fail, you have to do these things to start your day. I would, um, I wake up and I do like a little stretch in the morning. Uh, and then also I have to walk my dog every day. So that's a little bit of a, 30 minutes of exercise that I get every morning um, that helps just, you know, mentally prepare myself for the day. And at the end of the day, how do you wind down? Like, what are some things that get you into that sleepy pace, place and let you let go of the day? I, I try not to look at my phone for at least like 20 minutes before bed. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, obviously that's really hard at times, but just mentally force myself as best as I can to, to not look at it. For sure. Uh, what book are you currently reading? I'm reading The Laws of Creativity, actually. Joey's, uh, Joey's book. How are you finding it? <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, Joey's, I, I've always told Joey this, but he, he's a really good writer. It's really easy to digest and to relate to. Uh, and the stories, I feel like I'm learning a lot of like, a lot about different people who are not your traditional type of creativity. Yep. Like a, they're not necessarily labeled as a creative person, but they are creative in their own way. In your life so far, what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned? To be honest and vulnerable. Mm. Ooh, that's tough, but very important. Last question. What do you want to be when you grow up? When I was younger, I wanted to be an astronaut or an engineer. Uh, going into space or building things. And I feel like I'm kind of, I'm doing that. Uh, I'm building things with my hands and, you know, building things with my hands, making it work, yeah building some some beautiful things that everybody should check out. Um, so where can people find you, Jay? If they wanted to look you up, should they check you out on LinkedIn? Where should they find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Jay Desai, or you can also look at my, my website, jdesaibuilds.com, or on uh, Baron Fig, baronfig.com. Perfect. Jay, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, also for really getting me to understand what engineering actually is. <laughs> you know, it took 35 years, but we got there. A major thanks to our wonderful audience for listening to Secret Ops. Please follow us wherever you find your podcasts and check us out at secret-ops.com. We'll see you next time.
Hey, listener. Do you want to be a top operator in business and in life? Well, we at Secret Ops are here to help you do just that. Check out our monthly Secret Ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you. From bonus content to secret resources, we've given you the VIP access. To sign up, check out the link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening.